I am so appreciative of those who lead us and serve God by uh, uh, being prepared for all of that. I, I kind of, I would like to, uh, I fought that in the first service, you'd think I would have picked it up. I thought maybe there'd be somebody wanting an autograph, I guess is what I was thinking. But I just thought it would be great if Skip kind of uh, drew from his uh, introductions at rodeos. I mean, I appreciate he came with great enthusiasm, but I thought if we could like perch him up in a box over here and he would like announce every element of the program. And then at the end of my message, it would conclude with him saying something like, let's give that cowboy a round of applause because that's all he's taking home tonight. You know, I thought that'd be good. That'd make me feel good about Skip. I, pre I appreciate that enthusiasm. And I do appreciate your application of the sermon in the first service into the reading of that passage of scripture, I cannot think of a more appropriate interpretation of what God shared with us for that. My grandmother created Pinterest. <laughs> Not exactly, but my grandmother was a master at taking junk and trash and converting it into what she thought was something useful. You remember when uh, you could get lemon juice in a little plastic lemon, you know, for your tea or water? She would take the empties of those and with straight pins and beads and sequins, she would decorate that and use a paper clip and make a hook and make a Christmas ornament out of that. I still have that ornament. It hangs on my tree in the back. That's where that is. My grandma took a Joy dishwashing liquid bottle and cut off the sides and collected a number of them, punched holes all around the perimeter of the pieces, and then crocheted the pieces together to form a floppy garden cap. Apparently, fashion was more important than function in that. I don't know. She was able to take a Reader's Digest book and glue the covers together and then fold the pages. I see some of you nodding. You're giving yourself away. She would fold the pages, and when they were fanned out, they formed the shape of a Christmas tree, and she would affix decorations and put something on top of that. I mean, my grandma was way ahead of her time because this is all the rage. This idea of taking things that had fallen perhaps into disrepair and recycling them or refreshing them or repurposing them to be something that is new. It's what takes a warehouse cart with bad wheels and drags it in to be the coffee table in the living room. It's how someone takes an old rusted out wheelbarrow and pushes it into the backyard and puts dirt in it, and rather than throwing it away, they plant flowers and it's been repurposed. It is that someone can take some other element that seems to be no longer its original purpose and finds a new value, much like this milk jug that becomes this beautiful adornment to your garden. To be repurposed. It means for us to simply use something that for a different purpose to the one for which it was originally intended. The idea, as I said, is something that is more than just a craft idea. It's something that should be near and dear to us. And this morning, I want to look in our continuing look at the parables of Jesus. I want to look at a parable that I think has a great lesson regarding purpose 
and repurposing for us today. It is found in Luke chapter 12. It is the so-called parable of the rich fool or perhaps the parable of building bigger barns. I need to give you just a little bit of context before we look straight at the text, but here's what's happening. Jesus is teaching in a public place, public way as he often did, and someone interrupts him and says, teacher, a term of honor, a term of respect, a recognition of Jesus having some wisdom and some authority. And he says, teacher, tell my brother to share my family inheritance with me. Now, we don't know any of the other circumstances. We don't know if this was something that the young man or the man was entitled to but had not received. We don't know if he was making a demand of something that he didn't deserve but thought if he found Jesus' clout behind him, he might get it. We don't know that if any way, shape, or form how he had received it, what he had received, he was supposed to receive it. But Jesus, as he often does, uses it for a teaching opportunity. Jesus says, what makes me the arbiter over these things? Here's what I think Jesus is saying. Have you been paying attention to anything I'm talking about? Almost as if it was a first grader who interrupted the teacher right in the middle of the message to ask something absolutely pointless and nowhere on topic at all. And the teacher goes, were you even listening? And Jesus says, who makes me an arbiter over you? And then he turns to the crowd, if you will, and he says, beware of greed. I think of it as to what exactly makes this greed. Well, I think it's what follows in the parable. Let's look at what actually Dr. Luke writes for us in regards to the parable. It says, and he, that's speaking of Jesus, told them a parable, the land of a rich man produced plentifully, and he thought to himself, for what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and I will build larger ones. And there I will store all of my grain and goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. The lesson of the parable continues. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the thing you have prepared, who will they, for who will they be? So is the one who lays up treasures for himself and is not rich towards God. You know, we look at the story of this man. We Again, we don't know if the man that is described as the rich fool um, is someone who has worked his way up the business ladder and now has a, has a very successful business. We don't know if he has perhaps mistreated uh, those who were his workers. We don't even know how much is the too much, only that it exceeded the current storage facility that he had. But Jesus describes this parable, and I believe the parable points to the man that asked the question of Jesus to this matter of greed. I kind of looked at what was the purpose that the man had for all of the abundance that he enjoyed. First of all, I noticed that he had purposed part of what he had gleaned for his own needs. I think we can relate to that. I doubt that there are many who tomorrow morning when the alarm goes off, telling them to get up and it's time to get ready and go to work, 
and then they spend some time behind a desk or in the factory or whatever their job is, and they go, man, I am glad I did that. This is so much fun. For most, the reason they get up and work is so that they can provide for themselves and provide for their family. There is the uh, need for food and for clothing and shelter, and granted, sometimes we want ourselves into needing, but I think we can understand that it is a worthwhile thing to work for a living and to produce, if you will, a harvest that provides for our needs. In fact, God thinks that. Upon the days of Adam and Eve's eating of the forbidden fruit, not only did sin enter the world, but work along with it. The ground didn't readily give up a harvest. And so mankind, though the sin did not pass on from Adam to mankind, the consequence of sin did, and we all had to go to work. The days of lazy are over. So much so that when the Apostle Paul writes the church in Thessalonica, he says, if a man won't work, don't let him eat. He says to the young evangelist Timothy, if a man does not provide for his own, then he's worse than an infidel. In other words, God expects us to work and to provide for our own need. And so this man in the parable, he purposes a portion of his crops, a portion of what he has, when he says, soul, you have laid up for yourself ample or the needed goods to meet your needs. And then I see him purposing for the purpose, if you will, of, uh, well, of his security. You know, we recognize the value of uh, having a little bit of a nest egg, laying something aside for a rainy day or maybe for some unexpected circumstance, a health consequence that might keep us from working or require extra funds. We might purchase uh, an insurance policy or we might take that savings and place it as some kind of an investment. It's important to be those who are, not, who are somewhat frugal with their life and don't just, uh, you know, spend their money and find that they're at the end of the money before they're ever at the end of the month. We would think that was reckless living. And so this man seems to be a good steward of that's what he had. He says, listen, he said, you have laid up for yourself for many years. I'm not just going to go blow it all. I'm going to save some of it. And then he goes on and he purposes a portion for his own pleasure or for his comfort. Again, I don't think that God intended us for us to just uh, scrape by appreciate Ray's description of bread and how valuable it is. But you know what I like with my bread? Meat. That's what I like. And I think God is okay with us of saying, listen, he doesn't expect us to just get by, to barely get by to have to live on the very least. God is a, a God of great generosity. And so for us to say, you know what, we're going we're gonna to eat out now and then, or maybe we're going to save for a vacation, or maybe we can buy something new even though what was old isn't quite worn out. We're going to find something that is comfortable, something that is for our pleasure. I don't even have the idea, the indication that he wants to spend this on sordid living. He wants to spend it on things that are inappropriate. I mean, we might look at the idea of take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry, that the idea that he was going to engage in gluttony and drunkenness and lascivious living. I just think that he said, you know what? I have enough that I can live comfortably through the rest of my life. So why does Jesus give us this kind of a parable of a man who seems to be a good steward and describe it or use it as an illustration of what greed is. 
Well, I think it comes at the very end of what it was that Jesus said, and that had to do with the fact that the man saved what he saved for himself rather than for God. So is the one who lays up treasure for himself. In other words, everything that the man had done with his abundance had been directed at his own benefit. It was not a recognition of what God had done for him or what God intended him to do with that which he had been given, that the man had been internal or self-focused and that his great abundance was that which he saw for him and for him alone. Perhaps it was that he saw no need to share the wealth with those who had worked hard to make him successful. Maybe it was that he had not seen the value in helping those who had been less fortunate for whatever reason. Maybe it was that he saw things in the temporary, and by that I mean in his life here on this earth, and not in an eternal way. I simply think that the fact is that he had purposed it for himself. And that should be painful for you and I who belong to Jesus Christ, because we have been purposed for a new purpose. You know, when we were originally created, God had a purpose for us. The purpose was that we might live to glorify him. That's why we were created. That's why he uh, provided for us and sustained us. It is for that reason that he gave us Jesus to rescue us. It is for that reason that one day he will return for us and reward us, not for our benefit, though we benefit, but for his benefit that he might be glorified in all of his great working. But somewhere along the way, we decided that we would rather not live for him, but live for us. That's when we engaged in sin. Whether knowingly or unknowingly, we pursued a life that says, you know what I need? I need. You know what I need? I need security. You know what I need? I need pleasure and comfort. And we begin to live our life for ourselves and that selfless or that selfness led us into a life of living for our own personal desires, our wants. And somewhere along the line, God saw us in our trash heap, no longer what we were once intended for. And so not only did he purpose us for something new, he repurposed us. He repurposed us from how we had purposed ourselves as living for self and he repurposed our, us for something new and for something better. You want to understand what he really purposed for us and how he intended for us to use the abundance of which we gain from him, for it all ultimately comes from here. I want you to turn your attention and your Bibles as well over to the book of 2 Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians, Chapter 9, the Apostle Paul is talking to the church in Corinth. Just for a little bit of background, very quickly, there had been some difficulties in Jerusalem and the surrounding regions. There had been a famine, there had been some hardships that had come upon the church, and so there was a benevolent need. And so, if you will, the word had gone out, and a number of churches had responded to that need, as churches often do, and Corinth was one of those that had made a promise. They had made a pledge to help. But now in the second letter to the Corinthian church, the Apostle Paul wants to remind them that writing the check is not the most important thing. 
the ability to cash that check. I, I moved to Houston. I walked into my bank, and the first thing I said is, does this bank have sufficient funds? And they said, what do you mean? I said, well, the last bank, every time I wrote a check, they said they had insufficient funds. So I want to make sure that you have it. In other words, it's one thing to make a promise. It's another thing to keep that promise. And Paul says to the Corinthian church, he says, listen, you have been blessed greatly for your purpose, for your new purpose. Here's the text as it reads, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. He goes on. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but also overflowing with many thanksgivings to God. For by their approval of this service, that's the service of giving, they will glorify because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. In other words, he said, you were not given for you to put in your storehouse. You were not simply given simply for your needs, for your security, for your pleasure and comfort that you were given. It is so unfortunate some have drawn from this passage that if you give God a hundred, he'll give you a thousand back. If he does give you a thousand in exchange for you giving a hundred, he intends for you to take the thousand and give it, not keep it. It is not about prosperity, it is about generosity. It is a teaching that comes from a God who has given us in abundance. It's important that we do not define abundance as that which is above and beyond what we need. An abundance is the measure of the blessings that God has given us, and God has blessed us richly. He has blessed us financially. He has blessed us with a measure of life and health and sustenance. He has blessed us with family and friends. He has blessed us with a church community. He has blessed us time and time again, and when one assets uh, assesses in the grand uh, column of assets and debts, one has to see that God has outgiven everything that we have expended and he's ready to give more with the expectation that we will give more. So why does Paul say that God gives to us? Well, he gives because he's a giver and we give because we want to be a giver like him. Do we not aspire to be the kind of person that God has displayed in his own character and nature? I mean, can one look past the asset column without seeing that which is written in the very blood of Jesus when he gave to you and I, and we, in submission to Christ, submission to the gospel, Paul calls it, we said, we want to be like him. He has given and we want to be givers of wealth. If we were to go no further than God has given to us and we want to be like him, we would then be givers. But Paul says there's some practical, not just theological reasons for that as well. He said not only have we been given, but we have been given with a purpose. We have been given to meet needs. 
In the context of 2 Corinthians, it's the need of the brethren in Jerusalem. But in a grander scheme that what we have been given and God has given it and is at our discretion, but we serve as his steward. Do you realize that when there are those who are praying for help, those who are asking God, God, I need your help. I can't pay the rent. I can't pay uh, uh, for the medical treatments. I can't put food on the table. God, won't you help me? He says, I've got you covered because I provide not only through my providence, but I provide through my people as well. You are God's answer to the prayers of millions. And so there are great needs. This congregation is a generous congregation, and it needs to be because this congregation is involved in so many different works. Yesterday, the ministering to those inner city folks in the Impact Churches, we hosted the Impact Carnival. Next weekend is we will host those for our community for a time of connection with them in hopes of eventually being able to share the gospel. That which we do benevolently that nobody in the congregation save a few ever really knows about. The building that we're in did not come by happenstance. It's not everything from the lights to the water to the utilities to the internet to the streaming that all those things came as free. That we, that we reap the benefits of the giving of our collective body. And there is those needs that are constantly increasing. Not because we are given to the things of the world, but the world in which we live in demands that there is a need for those kinds of things. And so the seed that we have been given is to plant, to demonstrate our righteousness, our rightness before God, to meet the needs of those that are around us, not just only our own personal needs. He goes on to say, he says, not only is it to meet a need, but also that you are given that there might be thanksgiving to God. Because when we are the recipients who then as his stewards distribute that, we are showing to God that we are thankful for all that he has blessed us with, all that he has done. We also recognize all that he will do and all that he promised to do, and we're equally thankful because of our surety in him for that. And then we're thankful for what he is doing, not only doing amongst the people, but what he has, as the Macedonians saw it, grace bestowed that for us to be a part of this is God's grace extended towards us his unmerited favor that we should be seen as worthy enough to be the stewards of distributing the wealth of blessings that he has for not only us but for the world and we should be thankful I pray frequently, and I say this with all humility, may my life and my giving be a reflection of the thankfulness that I have for what you have already done for me. And so as we think about that, it's not only that, but then when those things are given to those who are in need, what do you think their response is? Oh, I'm sure some will say, we're so thankful for the Memorial Church. I'm thankful to you for your help in our times of need. When the circumstances were horrific, you rose to the occasion, but that's not our objective. Our objective in giving is that they might say, why is it that you would help us? That's not like others in the world. 
And the answer is because the God whom we serve has given us so we may give and they say thanks be to God. They give, we give that we might bring glory to God and in that is the fulfillment of our life purpose. Sometime back, I had a friend who had given me some money so that Tammy and I could attend a conference that was going to come entirely out of our own pocket. Even though we were speakers, we were not going to be compensated. And he gave me a check. It was generous. And he was not one of those huggy, feely, you know, I love you, brother kind of guys. But I sent him a message. I said, I appreciate your gift. And he said a line that resonates with me almost every day. He said, uh, how do I answer my God when I have the opportunity and the ability and I do not act? And as what am I going to say when God has blessed me richly and I have been given so that I might bring glory to his name and fulfill his purpose and say, but instead I chose to bring glory to me and to my condition. The giving that we give is that which we do so sacrificially. It is our offering that he might be worshipped, that he might be glorified, that he might be exalted. He gave that we might give him the glory when we give. In fact, the Apostle Paul, Bron, I'm not going to forget it this time. I forgot it this morning at the first service, and Bron said, uh, well, David, sometimes we'll cut some out for the first service. I'm not cutting anything out. I'm up here once in a blue moon. I'm going to get the full nickel's worth, but I hope David's watched. Oh, he watched a second service. I'm in big trouble. But here's what Paul says. He says, each one must give as he has decided. One version says, purposed, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things, you may abound, listen, in every good work. Now, he was speaking to the Corinthians about the promise that they had made, but the lesson is equal for us. That we are, and we have used this as a guide for our giving for as long as I can remember, that each should give as they have purposed in their heart. A few years ago, when studying this passage, though, I asked myself a question. Have you purposed too superficially? In other words, I have purposed a dollar, and I gave a dollar. I have given as I purposed in my heart. In that, God is glorified. Well, certainly, he's glorified in the fact that I kept my word that I made. But my question is, was my purposing too insufficient maybe it is that I need not to purpose but that I need to repurpose David always gives us a question for contemplation I have two the first is what have you purposed what have you set aside what is it that you have intended to do with the blessing that God has given you and the second question, and I think more important, and that is, what have you purposed it for? Have you set it aside simply for your retirement? Have you set it aside for your rainy day? Have you set it aside for your needs, your wants, your comforts, your plans? Or have you set it aside for the purpose for which God blessed you with it in the first place? Here's my challenge 
for all of us. Repurpose your living and your life. For some of you, it is an invitation to recognize that maybe your life still is on the trash heap, needing to be refreshed, to be rejuvenated, to be repurposed, to the purpose actually that you were originally intended for. That you need more than a remodeling. You need a restoration. A restoration that is only possible by the blood of Jesus Christ, accessible when we surrender ourselves to him. And at that moment of immersion in water, which we call baptism, that we might receive the blessings for those who are in Christ. The absence of condemnation, the joy and the peace and the reconciliation. For some of you, it may be that repurposing needs to go to that elemental principle to be repurposed for a new purpose, which was really your original purpose, to live for the glory of God and to reap the benefits and the blessings of that relationship. But probably for more of us, it is a consideration of our own condition. Not just our condition as memorial and what we do as a collective body, for each of us to ask ourselves, maybe what I need to do is I need to reconsider my giving. Maybe I need to repurpose what I purpose. Maybe I need to open that bulletin and look again at that QR code that says give. And not just give, but give again. This isn't a fundraising speech. This is a call for God's people to be what they were called to be. Christianity is not about what we get. Christianity is about what we give. The consumerism of I get salvation and I get forgiveness and I get heaven and is a misguided perspective of Christianity. Christianity is about I deserved nothing and I received the very life of Jesus Christ in exchange for that nothingness. And I know nothing more to do as a response to that than to give. Maybe a response this morning is one that would be suitable in a public way. Maybe you're ready to make that decision to become a child of God, to be immersed in water. Maybe it is that you need to, as part of your repurposing, repent of some lifestyle that you've been engaged in. Maybe you simply need the prayers of this congregation for strength. We stand ready to help you any way that we can. By more than a tradition, but a sincere invitation, if there's any way that we can help you this morning, why don't you let us know by coming forward. Let's stand together and encourage one another in song.